church and for keeping us as one, as we're in him. And also, I'd like to thank uh, Pastor John for letting some old rookies get up here occasionally and bring the word. Uh, it's kind of awesome that uh, we work together at this, isn't it? Um, but the Lord has gifted all of us to work together in certain areas. He's given us gifts of teaching and preaching, uh, uh, giving. There's all kinds of different gifts that the Lord has given us to work together. And I think it's a blessing that we're able to do that. Um, the word today is coming from Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. And I think this, just give you a little background to this before we get going, kind of lay out the, the road map a little bit. This is kind of right in the middle of the Sermon of the Mount. And, and I think the section we're going to talk about today is actually explaining what the Lord talked about earlier in the Lord's Prayer, where he said, Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, that's a prayer that we have. It's a general prayer. But here, he's going to get very specific and show us the, the mechanics of how that works. How do we actually be delivered from evil? How, how are we not led into temptation? Because temptation is all around us all the time. And we want to make sure that we know how to follow Jesus effectively. So this section of scripture is really pertinent because Jesus just said, hey, you should not be led into temptation. You need to be delivered from evil. And here, just a few sentences later in his sermon, he's, he's explaining how that happens. So we, we have to be careful not to, to disconnect things too much. You know, we need to look at the word, and especially a sermon, a section like that, together, and also look at how Jesus actually overcame temptation. You know, just before he gave up and gave the Sermon on the Mount, uh, just before that he was led in the wilderness, and, and he was tempted by the devil. And we're going to look at that to see how he overcame things, because that's what the section of Scripture we're talking about today is. It's all about. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I thank you, Lord, that you help us to understand your word. And in doing so, Lord, you help us to understand that we are your children, that we are called with a purpose, a divine purpose, under you, abiding in you, loving you, and because of those things and the things that you have given us, we are changed. We're new creatures in Christ because of what you have done. And you have prepared our works that we should do, that we should walk in them. Lord, help us to magnify you today, to make it all about you. Because we, if we have anything, it's because of the radiance of your love that's reflected back towards you, and reflected to others in our midst, even reflected to those who are lost and need the same light that we have in our heart. God, help us to understand who we are so we can be who you intend for us to be. And it's all based on you and the gifts that you've given to us. Thank you, God, for your word, and thank you for leading us this day in truth. In Jesus' name and for your glory we pray. Amen. So the word today is coming from Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24. And, and this section of scripture is, like I said, very unique in that it, it leads us, it shows us how to be delivered from evil, basically. And it's awesome in that. And in Wiersbe, when he looked at this, he said there's actually three sections here in this, this 
this uh, collection of scripture. And it's talking about, the first section is how we believe with our heart. What we understand in our heart. And we're going to talk about that. And the next thing that he's going to talk about is how we think with our mind. And he uses, the, Jesus uses the term I, how you see things. We say it today, like, well, I see it this way. What does that mean? It's how you think, right? And then this third section of this scripture is talking about the will, what you do, right? And we're supposed to be doers of the word, right? So that's important as well. So let's go ahead and read the scripture. And as we go through this, keep in mind there's kind of three things that are going to be talked about here. What we love, how we think, and then our will. So first, what we love. Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. That section is talking about the heart. Next is how we think. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if the eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is the darkness? What we think. We have to think correctly and think concerning the light of Christ. And third, our will. No one can be a slave of two masters, since they're either who will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and money. Now, your translations may actually say servants or bondservants sometimes, but the actual word here, we'll talk about that later, is actually slave. That's why I used this translation. So the big picture here, The big picture is about loving Jesus more than anything else because that will motivate us to do what is right uh, and do things for God. Because if you love it, you will be a slave to it with your heart. If you love Jesus, you'll be a slave to God. If you love something else, you'll be a slave to that. We're going to serve one thing or another. There's no doubt about that. And Jesus deals with the temptation of covetousness in this case, and we discover it's a problem with our heart. And covetousness is just wanting things. Well, what do you want? What's your treasure? Do you want Jesus or do you want something else? For example, when you covet your neighbor's whatever, you're choosing not to follow God. Whatever you want is more important than the love and doing of God's will. And here's the thing. Do you think God wants us to be satisfied in him? Yes, he does. Fully satisfied. And whatever he's given to you, those are the things that we should be satisfied in. And this goes all the way back to the law. In fact, Jesus is establishing the law. In Deuteronomy 5.21, it says, You should not covet your neighbor's wife. You should not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And it's our sinful nature to covet what our neighbor has. Oh, I like that. I want that. Well, just be satisfied with what God has given you. And again, God wants us to be satisfied in him. It's what he has given us. In essence, we love sin or or we love God. And Jesus said it this way. I love the economy of words that our Lord, the word, speaks to us sometimes. He just says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll do what I say. You know, this the economy of words of that. It's huge. The magnitude of what he said, but he said it with very few words. 
And the converse of that is if you love sin, you won't. You won't do what God wants. And in Romans 1, verses 18 through 32, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but there it shows God's judgment by letting people getting carried away in their sin. You know, and it all stems from the fact that they did not, and because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, but God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. And then it lists all the things that they did. They didn't acknowledge God. We have a struggle between our old and new nature, the the old man and the new man. We have to deal with that. We need to acknowledge God because only He can make our paths straight. We are crooked. Our hearts in themselves will lead us the wrong way, but if our heart is shown the light of Christ, then He'll lead us in a straight way. In Proverbs 3.6 it simply says, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. We need help to make our paths straight. We can't do it on our own. And what we treasure will motivate what we think and ultimately determine our will. Jesus wants all our heart so we can be changed into His image and be guided by His principles. And this is found in the great commandment. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognized that he had answered them well and asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? And Jesus answered, the foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commander greater commandment greater than these. And here Jesus is drawing from Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. And it's interesting that the, the two languages that this was spoken in give it a slightly different meaning. The Hebrew, when it says the Lord thy God, it's talking about Jehovah or, um, is one, talking about he's first. And here in, in the Greek, the use of the word Lord is uh, Christus. It means master. It's a little bit different. And, it, and when it says he is one, it means he is one. And we know there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and there's one Lord. And both are true statements. It's just the way the languages describe it makes it a little bit different. But the commandment is, plainly, in either language, is to love God and make him first. Biblically speaking, loving anything more than Jesus is idolatry. It's a rebellion of unbelief and has the equivalent mindset of the Hebrews who wanted to go back to Egypt into slavery instead of serving God. When we love something more than God, we will be a slave to that thing. And the Hebrews were never satisfied with God. They always wanted something else. They were always complaining and rebelling against his commands. They longed to return to the slavery in Egypt because they had no regard for God. You know, and they should have been satisfied. I've walked through the same wilderness that they walked in. And do you know what's there? Do you know what's there to sustain life? Not much. <laughs> There's scorpions and snakes, there's rocks, there's heat, there's not hardly any water. 
We would get a little bit of a rain in the spring and it make these little sprigs come up like in the desert. And it looked kind of green from the air, but you get down there and what is, where did this green go? Because the heat comes out and everything vanishes. And there was millions of people that God supported as they walked through that wilderness. And I was wondering, how in the world, except by supernatural intervention, did that, were they sustained? And it says in the Bible, this is probably one of the greatest miracles that's overlooked. It says that their shoes didn't wear out. For 40 years, they walked in the desert because of unbelief. And their shoes and their clothes didn't wear out. You know, sometimes we need to be satisfied with what God gives us and just say, thank you, Lord, for what I have. You want to give me something else tomorrow? That's fine. But right now, I am glad for what I have. And just be happy with that. I walked in that desert for just a few months and my boots, my military boots, were just shot. I mean, the leather almost wore through. And here they're wearing sandals and they didn't wear out after 40 years. And they walked everywhere they went. Amazing. Sometimes we need to be satisfied. And of all those people that wandered in that wilderness, all those people who left Egypt, do you remember how many made it to the promised land? Millions of people left. How many people made it into the promised land? Two. Joshua and Caleb. Everyone else perished because of unbelief or sin. You know, that should say something to us, that this temptation and being able to follow God is a big deal. We need to be able to do that in our daily walk with God and ask for his correction. And what's the antidote to to, uh, covetousness or sin or anything else we're involved in? It's actually the love of Christ. Here, Wiersbe says in Matthew 6, 19-24, it has to do with the heart, the mind, and the will. And here, we're going to talk about the heart. He says, don't, Jesus says, don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth, what you want, what you think is valuable, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. And here's the thing. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And again, the treasure is what you think is valuable, what you think is the most important thing to you. As an example, in 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Loving money is a treasure that brings deceitful self-sufficiency. Because you think you're rich, you don't have any need for God. And that will certainly lead you away. Remember the church of Laodicea? They they were rich and they thought they didn't need anything. And what happened to their love because of that? They became lukewarm. Their love became cold because they had riches. They didn't think they needed God. After the Lord's rebuke, He says this to them. This is His advice. He says, I advise you to buy from Me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. What is that? Well, that's doing God's will. And sometimes that brings persecution, but that is actually making you more pure. Gold refined by fire, so that you may become rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourselves, that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, 
an eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Truth guided by the Lord Jesus. Have you ever watched that American Pickers show? I don't know why I like that show so much. It's on History Channel. But these two guys, they go around junkin and they go into different places into people's houses and they go through stuff and you know you'd be surprised what people think is valuable. They just kind of accumulate this junk over time and their whole sometimes their whole house is filled up with stuff. Their barns are full, their garages are full. And these guys go into people's houses and they'll dig through the trash and they, they pull out a widget or something and they say, Hey, I'll give you fifty bucks for this. I'm thinking, fifty bucks for that, uh, whatever. And and the guys sometimes will say, Well, I might need that someday. I'm like, you probably didn't even know it was there. Are you kidding me? I'd take the money. But people value things just strangely sometimes. Piles of junk. And then they got that older show, Hoarders. And frankly, I don't like that show. I can't deal with that. And here, this is like a psychological thing where people, they think they're, even their trash is valuable. Well, I might say I have something in my trash that I can't throw it out. And the trash just piles up. And here's the thing. You and I, spiritually sometimes, we've got to admit, sometimes we're like these hoarders. We hoard our trash instead of valuing Christ. You know? Sin is like that. It's deceitful. It says, hey, I'm valuable. I am, I am, I'm worth you saving. You've got to hang on to me. And Jesus says, no, you've got to hang on to me. You've got to identify what the trash is. And take it out. You know, we have examples in the Bible of people hoarding their trash. What we treasure will motivate what we think and ultimately determine our will. Jesus wants all our hearts so we can be changed into His image and be guided by His principles. You know, And we don't want to make sure that we're not hoarding our trash. And here's an example. This rich young ruler came up to Jesus one day. And he says, someone said to him, Teacher, what good thing shall I do to obtain eternal life? Well, the guy's barking up the wrong tree right there because he thinks that he can do things to inherit eternal life, one. And Jesus, he said to him, Why are you asking me what is good? There is only one who is good. I want you to keep that phrase in your mind right there. Because Jesus said, only one is good. He's talking about himself. He didn't deny that he was good, but he said, I'm only good. And we're going to refer back to that. So I want you to keep that in mind. And he said to the guy, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? I think he's asking a legitimate question. He knew there was a lack in his life. And Jesus said, if you wish to be complete and go sell your possessions and give to the poor, then you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus said, if you want to be complete, you have to follow me and sell everything you have. I have to be your treasure. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieved, for he is one who owned much property. 
We had a discussion this morning in Sunday school about these treasures and how what we think is right. And, you know, I think nowadays if someone would come up to us and ask, hey, how do I receive eternal life? And he says, I just say this little prayer and you're good. Jesus didn't do that. He said, you have to follow me. And he says that throughout the whole word of God. And he's not saying that it's bad being rich. There are many examples of rich people in the Bible who had their priorities straight. Well, most of the time anyways. And they were rich. For example, Abraham, King David, Zacchaeus, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea. And Matthew, the guy who wrote this gospel, was a tax collector. And when Jesus came up to him and said, hey, follow me, what did he do? He got up and he followed him. He just left his booth. I'm out of here. That doesn't mean anything to me. I'm following Jesus. And that's exactly what he did. And I think that's the point. I love the way Paul put it. In Philippians 3, 7, and 8, it says, But whatever things were gained to me... Now, he was a Pharisee, a very influential Hebrew, a Jew of Jews. Hebrew of Hebrews. But whenever things were gained to me, those things I count as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. There he put value, his treasure. What he thought was his treasure was knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Paul left his trash behind. He didn't hoard his trash. And he recognized it as trash. He did. All for the value of knowing Christ. So what did Paul treasure in his heart? Knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. Christ Jesus means the anointed Messiah named Jesus. And my Lord is that Kyrios. There's that that same word that means master. So Paul's treasure is obediently following the anointed Messiah, Jesus, his master. That's what it means. This is New Covenant talk where the the law is written on their heart and they all know Him from the least to the greatest. The thing that Paul put a value on was knowing Christ. And his sins were forgiven too. And don't lose sight of this fact. In return, God loves you. And it's all about God's love. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He has some wonderful things plan for us. I think the elephant in the room here is God didn't love us just a little bit. He just didn't love us on Sundays and then the rest of the week He did other things. He loved us with everything He had. He gave us His own Son, Jesus, to die for our sins and to be our Messiah. And here we are hoarding trash. Setting your treasure in heaven is all about the love of Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's not about heaven. 
It's not about loving heaven or, or setting goals. It's about Christ Jesus, our Lord Jesus, because He is the one who loves you and He is the one who should have captured your heart. We need to think correctly so our heart is right as well. The mind. In verses 22 through 23 of Matthew 6. The eye is the lamp of the body. And if the eye is good, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is the darkness? Whether your eye is good or bad is basically how you think. We have to see things, think through Christ. And outside of Christ, we're in utter darkness. And Jesus gives us perspectives to life because He is the light. This is the message that we have heard from Him that announced to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. And in John 1.4 it says, in, in Him was life and the life was the light of men. And Jesus is our example of how to deal with covetousness because He abides in us and we abide in Him. So we have this light that gives us perspective and shows us how to live. Remember how Jesus says that only He is good? Only He can give us this perspective on how to live. Think about Adam and Eve. We're going to compare the temptation of Adam and Eve to the temptation of Jesus. Here Adam and Eve, is in, they're in the garden. They're in paradise. I mean, Eve would you know, roll over to Adam, and Adam, she'd say, hey Adam, how's it going? And he'd say, just another day in paradise. They were literally in paradise. They had no needs. They walked with God in the cool of the morning. Right? They were in paradise. And then the temptation came. Did God say, Does she eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve, verbatim, reads back exactly what the command was. Oh, I can eat from any of these trees, but from that tree over there, that tree of knowledge of good and evil, I'm not going to eat from that because the day I eat it or touch it, I'm going to die. Really? God just doesn't want you to be like Him. Because then you'll know good and evil. And here's the irony of it. They knew good. Everything they had was good. God declared that it was good. What they didn't have was evil. They didn't know evil. I don't think there was any particular thing about that tree except for the fact that God commanded them not to eat of that tree. And as soon as they bought into that, it's like the Jedi mind trick. This is a sin that will make you happy. And they were like, okay, That's the sin that will make me happy. I have to eat from that tree so I can be like God. And as soon as they ate that, they knew evil. And now we have a sinful nature because of that. I don't blame them. I think we're all gullible. We all are. And the point is, we need help. A few thousand years later, here comes Jesus. The God-man. God's nature in man. Fully man, fully God. He goes out in the wilderness before he starts his ministry. Forty days he's in the wilderness. Forty days. Hasn't eaten anything. You think he's hungry? 
Oh yeah, totally legit. He is hungry. He's starving. He's starving hungry. The devil comes up to him and says, Jesus, if you're Lord, you can change this uh, rocks into stone or stones into bread. <laughs> he done, he did that before. He turned the water into wine. No, no problem there, right? He multiplied the fish and the bread. He can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. He certainly has the capability to do it. But he says to the, he recognizes the command and where it came from. He knows the difference. Only one is good. He knows the difference. And he says, I'm going to live from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I'm not going to do that. Even though it's totally legit that he didn't, he could have done it. And he's hungry. He needs to be fed. But he didn't do it because he recognized where the command came from. And then secondly, he says, just throw yourself off the temple and your angels will, guard, will hold you up. If you're the Son of God. Paraphrase. And what is his response? The Bible also says, I'm not going to put the Lord the God to the test. Because he recognized where the command came from, the temptation. I'm not going to do what you say. I'm going to do what my Father tells me to do. Is there a difference between the two? There's a huge difference between the two. Absolutely. And then the third one. I, I can't even believe the devil brought this one up. Man, I'm surprised he didn't get hit by lightning right there. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And that's the point right there. Jesus was not going to do that. Glory to God. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall love, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. And folks, that's where the rubber meets the road for us. These temptations that come from the devil, they will lead you astray, they will put you in darkness, and Jesus brings us light that we can live. I will serve God only because of Christ. And I recognize my failures. I can't do this of my own self. Only God is good. None of us are good. Only through Christ are we good. And only through Christ can we live the life that He has for us to live. Right? Amen? Only through Christ can we live. And here's the thing. Jesus was already promised a heavenly kingdom that would put an end to all other kingdoms on earth. Daniel uh, 2.44 The problem was the timing and the master. He was already promised. He's going to have... He's the king of kings and lord of lords, right? It's coming. What do you think would have happened if Jesus would have caved to the temptation? Jesus would in fact be changing sides and be working for Satan instead of his father. What would be more inappropriate than Jesus, the Creator, working for the evil one? The point is, temptation is not a small thing. And Jesus, He knew the difference. Calvin, the Reformer. Mickey, you mind if I quote him? It's okay. Calvin, he said this about Jesus and the temptation of Christ in his commentary. He said, Jesus was different from us when facing temptation. He had our feelings, but not our unruly appetite. Boy, 
boy, isn't that the truth? We have unruly appetites. And sometimes if we're not paying attention, if we're not in Christ, abiding in Christ, and actively pursuing Christ, and asking for prayer to be guided by his principles and not our own, we can fall to the Jedi mind trick. This is a sin that will make you happy. Oh no, that's a sin that will kill me. Unfortunately, God restores us, and he's a good God. But we are sucked into sin so easily. And there's only one who is good. The only way for our eye to be good is for Christ to enter and illuminate the darkness of our soul. Christ is the light and His Word brings light. He said, Abide in Me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in Me. How we think is important if it is how we determine our desire, our treasure. And this is what we should treasure right here. This is what we should treasure in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Therefore, if you having been raised up with Christ, keeping seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And here's the zinger right here. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. You talk about a motivator to live rightly and holy before a holy God. When we, when Christ Jesus, after we are caught up with him, and he gives us our heavenly bodies, and he unfolds his wings, and he's revealed to all eternity. Do you know who's right there with him? You and I, we are revealed with him in glory. Why is that? Because, because you have the light of Christ in your heart. And the love that you reflect back to others is because of God love that shines in you. And the knowledge you have about the truth and through his word This is a testimony of His goodness and His love and His purposes. And when He is revealed in glory, you will be revealed with Him in glory. Thank you. We need to live today with the mindset of who we are in Christ. We will be revealed with Christ in glory to all eternity. That's a hard one to wrap your mind around. I, I don't have it figured out. Don't ask me what that's going to look like exactly. But it's good that it's beyond our measure, I think. Man, I'll tell you, it's something too. If our mind is set correctly, it will affect our will. In verse 24 of Matthew 6, it says, No one can be a slave of two masters, since either he will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and money. As I discussed earlier, this word money is mamonas. It's confidence in wealth personified, instead of confidence in God. You know, and in God's authority. And the word slave here is pertinent because it is talking about the verb uh, in bondage, it's duleo, but it's taken from the noun dulos, which means slave. That's exactly what it means. And in the context of when it was written, they knew what slaves were, because Rome had slaves. It doesn't mean that you're 
necessarily a slave under the whip. It means you are a slave, a voluntary slave of God. And by the way, all of the disciples counted themselves as slaves of Christ. That's how they described themselves. The word master here is kyrios. It means just that. Master who has ownership and authority over the slave. And again, just to remind you in Philippians 3, the value, what Paul put on value was the knowing of Christ Jesus, the anointed Messiah, my Lord or my master. To understand the full effect of what Jesus says, you're not just serving a little here and a little there. You're fully employed and controlled by either master, either of Christ or of your sinful nature. We get the idea that we can serve God by our own way and by our own effort. The problem is that we don't have the capability within ourselves to live for God. And and Jesus uses terms like you have to lose lose your life to find it. We are required to deny self to accept Christ. Another one is we have to crucify the flesh and walk by the Spirit. He's the vine and we're the branches. We have to abide in Him spiritually and gouge out the fleshly. You know, and this is something that's bigger than we can do. It's more. It's actually God's work in our lives. It's not something we do. It's something we do through Christ. And we can only do these things if we are in Christ, owned by Christ, empowered by His Spirit, and under His authority. And this is why being under God's authority is necessary, because being a slave gives you His perspective on things, and only He is good. And He can see sin for what it is, and also He writes His law on our heart through the covenant. And if you don't want to be under his authority, frankly, you have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. This is not an overbearing authority that God extends to us because God is love. He is love. And love and knowledge is the key. If you just love Jesus, this gives you motive for living. And if you understand his promises, it gives you direction. You have to have knowledge of the truth. And if you have these two things, then you can ask anything in accordance with his will. And all of heaven is yours. God is for us. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. But we have to abide in Christ to be able to overcome things. So our love, therefore, is pertinent to knowing Christ. It says in the Bible in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, and the old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. The new thing is Jesus. Jesus is a new thing in our life that creates life. And our mind, the Word, brings life and renews us. It says in 1 Peter 1.23, it says, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. When God speaks truth into our minds and our hearts, it changes us. 
It's not just a religious thing or a legalistic thing. It is an actual thing, a process that we're in that brings us closeness to God. And we need to work through God. Here's something, uh, a scripture that some people have a problem with because it says that we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's not that we're saved by our works, but we're working with God. It says, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and work for his good pleasure. We have fear and trembling because we're working with God and he's holy and we're not. And he brings us into these works that he has for us to do. And the salvation that we have is a work that he's doing. And it's to develop the image of Christ. Paul He's, he prayed this to the Galatians. Or he told the Galatians this. In Galatians 4.19, he says, My children, in whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. That's why people like Pastor John do, do stuff. Like They come out and they preach because God is at work in the church and Christ is being formed in us through the preaching and the teaching of his word. And that's what Paul was doing with the Galatians. So in prayer, I think it's totally pertinent that we ask for help to be the person that God has created us to be, to be developed in the image of Christ. And also what we do is important. In Ephesians 2.10 it says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Think about that for a second. God has created you to do something for him. He has gifted you for a certain process in the body of Christ, and we need each other for that. If I understand that I'm a slave of Jesus, motivated by love, and understand that my, with my mind that what he has done for me, why wouldn't I attempt to walk with him in the work that he has for me to do? In prayer, ask for the works that God has prepared for you to walk in. Your heart and your mind will determine who you serve. And I am so grateful that God is patient with us, isn't he? And when we mess up, he is good to bring us back. And he knows we're going to mess up because we're susceptible to that Jedi mind trick. But we need to understand that Jesus is the way that we get around that, that we work through it. We don't have to be susceptible to it. And we have a responsibility to engage him. And there's a cost to it. He's not going to be mocked. Nothing but full surrender to God and empowering from him enables you to be a new creature. You cannot serve Christ in anything else. Like I said earlier, we can only do these things if we are in Christ, owned by Christ, empowered by his spirit and under his authority. And I love the fact that the Bible, when it writes things down, you see things that, man, how did this guy mess this up? But sometimes it shows the problems that men have because you can see the repentance that they did and what happens in the end. For example, King David, was he perfect? Nope, he was not perfect. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. She became pregnant. He tried to cover it up. That plan didn't work. So how did he try to solve that problem? had Uriah murdered, right? That's a whopper right there in our, our scale of sin probably, right? 
And then he was called out on it, and he repented. And, and I'm so glad that his repentance is in the Bible. And it's in Psalm 51, 10 through 13. And this is exactly what we're talking about today. It is how God tells us to, to be motivated by love and knowledge and have a willing spirit. And this is David's prayer. He said, Create in me a clean heart, a heart that loves you, God. And I realized that I was wrong. Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me that isn't susceptible to sin, that doesn't drift away. And we are I'm not going to be perfect till we see him. We get that. But we need to learn to walk in a steadfast manner. And then he was worried. He was under discipline of the Lord. He says, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your, your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. He prays for three things. A clean, clean heart, a steadfast spirit, and a willing spirit. And it's interesting that then he says, basically the Great Commission. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. That's way before the Great Commission ever came. And here David is saying, I want a clean heart, a steadfast and a willing spirit, and then I can do what you'd have me to do. And it's all about loving Jesus and then being obedient. And the point is, is we need God's help to do that. We can't do it on our own, and we have to be vigilant in prayer. Create in me a clean heart. Give me a steadfast spirit and a willing spirit so that I can serve you properly. And we all need God's help in that. We're going to close now, and I'm going to pray the prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed to the church in Ephesus. So if you'd like to prayerfully consider this before God, bow your heads. Ephesians 3, 16-21 says, I pray that He may grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with the power in the inner man through His Spirit and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be comprehend with all the saints what is the length, the width, the height, the depth of God's love. And to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever, and all God's people said, Amen.